for sure there are a couple of you like, uh, come on, Reverend, it's the game is coming on tonight. You'll be all right. That's what VCRs are for. But, uh, but tonight, um, tonight I want to talk about uh, with the subject matter of um, fear, be not afraid. Um, it's very, very important. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. We'll just talk about this for a moment. I, don't, I may have to go a little bit deeper with it. Because the main thing that plagues everyone, including the body of Christ, is fear. Um, fear in the body of Christ is very much mask. But let me read this first. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Okay? So I wrote down a few things here to keep myself on task and on point. See me do that a little bit more. Um, but I wrote down that most people are afraid of something or someone, and because of it, they are hiding behind something else so that they will not have to face what they are afraid of. Um, and, and you can do this for so long. It's called self-deception. You know, unfortunately, um, uh, many Christians, they hide their fear behind positive confessions. They, they hide their fear. Uh, you want to know the biggest rock that believers hide behind when they are afraid is called prayer. And you can always tell, you know, um, um, you know, pray for me and pray, for, you know, they, they're like, pray for me, but it's really, they're saying, I'm afraid y'all, I don't know what to do. So I need you to pray. And then that person is afraid. You got a bunch of people praying in fear, not in faith. You see this a lot when it comes to sickness and disease, pray for me, pray for me. No, that's a fear thing. You're afraid. So you're trying to get as many forces together because y'all may, I'm so afraid, but maybe if I can get a team of y'all to come together and sometimes God has mercy on that. Sometimes he does not because uh, healing does not come about through a bunch of people praying. You don't see this anywhere in the Bible. It comes about by faith. Okay? And so, and so we have replaced discipline with prayer. We have replaced faith with fear. I mean, with, uh, with uh, praying. We have replaced integrity with praying. We have replaced stepping out by prayer. And so because prayer seems so religious, which is not, it's a warfare principle, but because prayer is so it makes us feel like we're religious, and so it allows us to shirk our responsibilities. I'm going to just pray about it, okay? I, mean, I can't tell how many times I tell people, you need to stop sinning. Well, I'm going to pray about that, okay? Sad part is when you pray about something that you already know the answer to, you have just opened up the door to deception. Never pray about something you already know. If you already know and then you try to pray, you, God has nothing else left to say because you already know the truth. So if you start praying about something that you know, you have just invited the dark side to deceive you. And then you, they'll tell you what you want to hear, not the truth. Because they say, well, it's obvious you rejected the truth. Now you're looking for something else by praying. Can't believe I'm saying this. And so since you're looking for something else besides the truth, then what we'll do is we'll give you deception. And then when the deception comes, you think it's the truth because it lined up with the way you fell. Y'all got that? Okay. So you have to be very, very careful when it comes to uh, these things. So fear is the belief 
that what you don't want to happen is going to happen. That's what fear is. What I do not want to happen, I believe is going to happen. That's why I'm afraid. And because I'm afraid it's going to happen, I'm going to make moves based on that. If you are afraid, they're going, if you are afraid someone is going to say no, you won't ask. If you're afraid it's not going to work out, you'll stop trying. If you are afraid of failure, you will hesitate at attempts to succeed. Because you have predetermined that this is not going to work. If you are afraid of what they might say about the real you, you will create a fake you. Holy, Holy Ghost told me that one. And then gave me an example of, of something that happened years ago. Let me give an example. Uh, there's a guy, he got this girl pregnant. Well, he came from a prestigious Christian family. So he was so concerned about his sin and him living in sin and then getting the girl pregnant that what he did was he did not love the girl. But since he was so afraid of what people would say, he then created a fake life and he married the girl even though he didn't love the girl. See, so his fear of what people would say about his mistake caused him to do something that was not real. He did not love that girl. He just married her in order to save face. Y'all got me? That's crazy. Okay? If you are afraid of rejection, you will actually fight against the people that are trying to help you. That is the most frustrating thing is to be trying to, you're trying to help someone and the person is rejecting your help and they see your help is hurt because they themselves are afraid. And a lot of times, if, you, if, if you're a person, uh, you, it can be, y'all, I can see right now, I'm going to probably have to be on this for maybe one or two more weeks, but, but you, can, you can see a woman who, she, all she is used to is abusive relationships. You see this on TV, abusive relationships, abusive relationships. Then she really does meet Mr. Prince Charming. But as a result of meeting Mr. Prince Charming, she's now afraid, you know what I'm saying? And then she begins to sabotage her own relationship because she, she, she's afraid, and so she, she starts conf- uh, 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 accusing you of, I know you're going to hit me. I know you're going to do such and such. I know you're going to do something crazy. And then she sabotages the relationship because of fear. Her fear caused her to act a particular way. I was telling my wife earlier today, I was, uh, um, the, uh, her last name, Merkel. Merkel, I'm sorry. The princess. I was looking at an article about all of the things that she has to change now that she is the princess. So, like, they got these little flat shoes that I don't like, but uh, that has nothing to do with anything. But she can't wear them anymore. I was like, thank you, Jesus. They look like little, what do they call them? They look like little ballet slippers. I can't stand them things. I don't know why I don't like them things. But apparently, neither does the Queen of England. She can't stand them either, so you're not allowed to wear them when you become in a part of her household. You know, just little things like you always have to have your hair done. You, um, you are not allowed to ever show cleavage. Your skirt cannot be above a particular point. This is royalty, folk. This is how a queen carries herself. Um, you, she can't have polished nails. That one got me. I mean, it was just interesting to read all of that. Maybe look it up. I was just doing some good stuff. Just, you know, I mean, when you see how these people carry themselves, that royal family and what they will and will not do, like, for example, they're not allowed, nobody's ever allowed to eat shellfish in case they might get accidentally, accidental uh, food poisoning. And it was just very interesting to see the, stringent way but at the same time their wedding gift was two mansions I think I can stop eating shrimp garnet for two mansions I'll stop eating shrimp for ten thousand dollars let alone a mansion or two y'all know what I'm saying but uh, so you I mean you should study that because as high level as that is 
is still extremely low level. The only way for you to even remotely begin to understand what it means when we will rule and reign with Christ forever and that we are kings and queens is to look at that royal family because they're pretty much the highest standard in planet Earth when it comes to, how, I mean, just the opulence and the jewels and the, and the dignity and the royalty and what they refuse to be a part of. But let me tell you what that family is known most for than anything else, compassion. That family, the royal family is known more than, they, the, the, the young Merkel the princess, this is another thing. She is no longer allowed to have social media accounts that she can run. They have to be run by professionals, and she is no longer allowed to work. She must spend the rest of her life doing good works to the poor. See? So, so you get a small example of that. So you see Jesus, who was a king. I mean, you know Jesus was the king of kings. What, what is the thing that he's spending all the time doing? Giving to the poor. It's giving to the poor. Okay. <clears throat> so this is a biggie because I told my wife, <clears throat> I said, uh, I'm thinking about putting on social media that Lionheart Church is quickly becoming a church of millionaires and not confessionaires. <laughs> How many of you think I should put it up? All right, there it is. So you've been outvoted. I'm just playing. How you know? It don't matter how many. I don't know how many people say yes. You know. So see, when I sent it to her, I said, "What do you think about this?" When I called her, she's busting out laughing. I don't know why she was laughing at it. <laughs> she was like, "This is crazy." You know, she's laughing at me making up words. You know, sometimes you make a point to rhyme, you got to make up stuff. Okay, but this is very important because a lot of us—I shouldn't say a lot of us—all of us are on the rise. But particularly, but in what area you are going into, if you are afraid of criticism as you rise, you should not be in business or ministry. Business and ministry in particular is not a place for people that can't take criticism. Um, you know, I was telling my wife earlier today, when I was growing up, you had to have a certain level of professionalism. You couldn't just cook any old thing and open up a restaurant. You couldn't just make any old type of audio tape. You couldn't make any old type of video. You know what I'm saying? You just couldn't write any old type of book, okay, because not, it wasn't free back then. So your stuff had to be above, you know what I'm saying? You couldn't just make any old type of clothing line. You couldn't just make any old type of anything back then. I mean, it had to really be at a high standard because it was being funneled through um, professionals, okay? Um, and, and they knew what it took. In order for your stuff to rise. Well, unfortunately, today, what we have is called free media. And so with free media, it allows everyone who thinks they got something good to put it out there without being critiqued. And so, so let me tell you something. For you all that want to get over into making videos and, and commercials and movies and stuff like that, you all... You need to allow yourself to be critiqued ruthlessly. You know why? Because now you're in competition with the whole planet. Okay, whether if you're writing a book, you better have some people say, is this the most boring mess I have ever read or is this exciting? Because you're competing with a bunch of, but, you know, because 10 people like your video on social media doesn't mean you're a superstar. Because 100 people buy your book, okay, wonderful. By the time you get to your church, family members and friends, okay, anybody can do that. You know what I'm saying? They bought it because they like you. They didn't want you mad at them. That's the reason why they didn't buy the book. So you, so you got to be very, very, you need to be open to if you don't like to hear criticism, that is something that you are afraid of hearing about yourself. 
You cannot rise to the top of anything without constant criticism. You got to do something, have 10 people look at it, okay? There are a lot of the graphics that we have used. They would send me the graphic, and I would run that graphic by five or six people. I would think it was sweet. I knew who to take it to first is my kids. Ask my kids how many times I say, hey, I need you to come in here. What do y'all think about this, this, this? And they're like, oh, this is trash. Pick this one right here. Okay, so your fear of criticism will cause you to put out a substandard product, a substandard video, a substandard audio, a substandard book, okay, substandard clothing line, a substandard whatever it is, particularly in business and in ministry. Your fear of criticism will cause you to just be a low standard. Then you'll blame it on God. Okay? And always remember this. As you begin to, let me say something. It is not possible for you to rise into higher dimensions without facing fear. One of the reasons is, is that in order for you to come up, it means you change. And when you change, it can be a little bit scary. How many of you, how many of you know you, you, could, you begin to change and you don't even recognize yourself? You know, and you know you, you're, you're, you are now bold in the areas you used to be afraid of. And now you're meek in the areas when you used to slap somebody. You know, any of you have got into it with somebody and you're like, you walked away like, it is something wrong with me. Something is going on here. You know, I would have been on the Channel 2 News by now. The cops would have been called. You know, I would have been robbed a bank by now. I would have stole that. You know what I'm saying? They dropped the $20 right in front of me and I picked it up and gave it back to them. I remember when I stole that person's purse six months ago. You, know, you can scare yourself when you're changing. And so, but when you change, you draw to yourself higher level of circumstances, better opportunities. And a lot of times, the opportunities that come to you are matching your mentality. If you begin to change, if you begin to increase, if you begin to improve, if you begin to get free from certain things that were holding you down, better opportunities will come. But when they come, you're going to have to face fear because the opportunity can seem scary or it might require you to change. Y'all got me? <clears throat> and so, so and, and, and I didn't even get my point. So God, when you get to this particular level, this is what's going on in all over the uh, this congregation, I should say, is that because everybody is rising, the Lord is now showing people, I know this is what you're asking for, but let me show you where you're really at. So he's allowing circumstances to happen by which you thought you were in faith, but you're like, oh, I wasn't quite in faith. The Lord has to do that because he already knows where you're at. But you don't know where you're at. How many know? We all talk, babe, man, I'm a lion. Do you know what? Not only am I a lion, I go to Lionheart Church, dude, where we dominate. Let there be light. Ain't no little light. Let your little light shine, man. We got a light that can blast the whole planet. We got LED lights in the sanctuary. You know what I'm saying? Light, light, light. Bam! Till you get hit. Then you want to, I need a prayer chain. I need about 30 people interceding right now. <laughs> you, see, you, you see that stuff on Facebook? I need everybody to pray for me right now. And then guess, guess what everybody text? Praying. You not praying. You in front of the computer at the job. Okay, so you have to be tested at particular levels so you can locate yourself and find out, ooh, okay, see, I buckled under this type of pressure. So let me, let me get myself together here a little bit and, and learn this lesson because, y'all, when you, come, when you go from level to level, you go from pressure to pressure. When you go from prosperity to prosperity, you also go from problem to problem. So a scene in uh, that movie, Doctor Strange, and that is a true statement. And uh, they said something about demons. And the guy said, he said, oh, 
you never get rid of your demons. You just learn to live above them. And that is very much true. That is very much true. Okay. You get to particular, I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you, in, in the spirit, you're opposite. It, whatever, whatever level you're on, your opposite comes against it. And so, so, so it never disappears. It goes someplace else. You learn to live above it. It can no longer be allowed to attach itself to you because you're free or you understand. You understand? Okay, so God will create or allow circumstances to show you where you are. Uh, one of the definitions of afraid means to fear, to stand in awe, to reverence what you are afraid of, to honor and respect it. Okay, you are afraid of this thing, but whatever you are afraid of is only because you honor you reverence and respect it. That's why you allow that to make you change. You allow that to make you cower. You allow that to make you go crazy. You allow that to make you stay up late at night crying. You allow that to make you worry. You allow that to make you do something crazy. Because you respect it so much, instead of destroying it, you listen to it. That's what's dangerous about fear. It's a high, le- it's a twisted form of respect. It's a twisted form of of, of reverence is a twisted form of worship and honor actually okay you are a problem and, and 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 i mean you know scripture talks about the fear of god and so how many know i mean god is our father i mean if you've let me say something if you've accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior god is your father if not he's your god it's a vast difference people say we're all children of god doesn't know we're in the bible the bible makes it clear and John 1, 12, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Well, if you became a child of God when you received Jesus, that means before you received him, you weren't a child of God. Y'all got that? Okay, so that's very, very important to remember. Let's get back to this fear thing. Okay? Matthew 14, 28 through 30, NASB, NASB uh, version. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So I have a point here. Operating in the spirit of fear makes you lose your common sense reasoning. The reason why this is important is because Peter was a fisherman. He fished for a living. The only reason why he walked away from his business is because Jesus had him follow one instruction and it brought them so much money. He left the business in the hands of the servants. When you go back and read this, how many know if you're a mechanic, you should at least know how to drive a car. How are you a fisherman way out there on the ocean at three o'clock in the morning and you can't swim. But when fear came into his life, Not only did he lose the supernatural, but he lost his common sense. Because when fear gets on the inside of you, it literally, for a moment, it rewires your brain and you can't think straight. Okay? Y'all are funny. And let me tell you why this is important. James 3.17. It says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. I want to focus on the first three, four words. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. In other words, when it comes to receiving wisdom from God, that's the frequency that the answers ride on. It rides on the frequency of peace. It rides on the frequency of gentleness. When you are in fear, you are not at peace. That's why you can't hear from God. 
Okay, when you are freer, you're not on that level. You're full of anxiety. You know, the, the Holy Spirit explained it to me this way. I need you to, uh, um, Eric, you do this. I'm a, after, a, I'm a, when I started moving around and everything, after about five seconds, I just want you to touch me this way. Okay, watch this. <laughs> now, this is an interesting thing. Did he touch me? Yes. Now, I'm trying to get you to understand the principle. Now, stay right there for a second. When I was doing all of that, that's what your fear looks like. That's the anxiety it produces. So when God came and touched me, I didn't feel it because it rises on the wave of gentleness. Now, watch this. If I'm just gentle and I'm at peace, now touch me. Bing. See, I know it was on my right shoulder. So, so that's what fear does. It troubles the water. So when God drops a pebble in there, you don't feel the ripple. Holy Spirit gave me that vision earlier today when I was studying this. He, I saw myself doing that little crazy move I just did. I don't know how crazy I look. <laughs> but y'all see that? So, the, so, so when the scripture says, the wisdom, how many know the scripture says in James, it says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But you're asking God to drop a pebble into your pond when you've already troubled the waters. So he, when he drops it in, you don't even hear it. You don't even see it. Because that wisdom, it rides, everything in the spiritual realm is frequencies. Okay, the new age, they teach this stuff. They understand it. That the frequency is based on, and they tell you, in the world, they tell you that you must match the frequency of what you're trying to receive. They tell you this in the world. Scientology, the crazy thing. They got a, I don't know what Scientology is. It's a merging of religion and technology. They got a new program coming out. It was, the, the trailer was sweet. Now, of course, it's a false doctrine, but it was sweet. I don't know why I said that. Okay, so the wisdom of God, it comes on that frequency that is gentle, you know, how you know something that's pure, it's not it's easy to receive something that's pure. You know what I'm saying? You know, when how I many you know, you know, if you go on a date with somebody and their intentions are pure, it makes the date real, real easy. You end up enjoying yourself. How many went out with somebody that was agitating? Because they weren't pure. They had something that they want to hide. Somebody lurking in the hand like, yeah, yeah, it's last week. <laughs> you know, hilarious. Okay, but I wanted to give that example of that when I was moving all around and thrashing all about that's anxiety. And so, and so when that person touched me, I couldn't feel it because of all of the stuff. Well, that's the troubling that you stir up in the spiritual realm and your atmosphere in your household. You're just worried. You're just afraid. You don't know what you're going to do. And, 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 oh, and so God can't get to you because in order for him to get to you with wisdom, it only comes on the frequency of somebody that's at peace. It only comes at the frequency of somebody that has a gentle spirit, not a troubled spirit. So there have been many a times you've been in situations and God was trying to get to you because, but he couldn't because you had troubled the waters. He dropped the pond in. How many know when it's a still water, when it's still water in a still pond, if I drop a petal in that, how many know you see the ripple and where it's going? So that's what's dangerous about fear is that it troubles the water like that. And so God can't get your attention. How many know y'all can remember that visual for next time you're afraid of something? Okay, Job 325. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. This is the other thing is that when you trouble the waters, guess what comes? More trouble. Because you're on the frequency of trouble. So more trouble comes. Okay. You always attract the level that you're at. So operating in the spirit of fear causes you to make decisions that will bring your fears to pass. What I greatly feared has come upon me. Okay? And so when you get, because let me tell y'all something. It's very important for you to re remember this. Fear 
is nothing but the force of faith that has a virus. It is belief in motion. Faith is you believing that something you want is going to come to pass. Fear is believing that something you don't want is going to come to pass. It is both the same force. It's just one brings you what you want. The other one brings you what you don't want. And most people, that's the reason why they have so much stuff in their life that they don't want because they are perpetually and unconsciously and consistently operating in fear. Because it's not what you confess. It's what you unconsciously believe when you sit at home by yourself in the dark with the television off. Romans 8.15 in ASB. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. So fear is the spirit of slavery. It causes you to be imprisoned and locked down, unable to do what you really want to do because you are scared. I don't want to move too fast. Psalm 56, 11. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? So your fear will be in direct proportion to your inability to trust God. So when you're now, we're not talking about, you know, now, you know, you need a deliverance session because you saw a lizard in your house, you know, and, you know, an ant or, you know, you saw a cougar running through the neighborhood, you know, oh, my God, I, you know, don't run out there. and You see a line in the street. Unless you think it's Jesus in disguise, which has happened many times, by the way. OK, so but but we're not talking about that. We're talking about that, that 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 fear that you have when it comes to relationships, that fear that you have that, that you have when it comes to um, stepping out on faith, uh, the fear that you have when you get sick, fear that you could have when the finances are short. Fear that you get have when you go to the doctor and, and they say, we need to come, let you uh, come in and we need to talk to you. That type of stuff. Okay. Why do you think so many people, when they go to the doctor and they find out they have something incurable, they're dead two to three months later? Because what they greatly feared came upon them. They received the pronouncement and they visualized themselves dead. And because this is what they believe that Faith goes into motion and brings what you. Mm. And I got to keep telling people the truth. Faith is neither good nor bad. It is neither righteous nor evil. It is a force that is designed to do one thing. Create what you believe. Bring to pass what you think is coming down the road. Do you realize how many things have showed up at your front door that didn't even exist? You invited it to your house. You sent a magnet out there and you invited that problem to come to your front door like a lasso. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Okay. Your fear will be in direct proportion to lack of light. Psalm 112, 6 through 8. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered for eternity. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. 
They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. I think I corrected it, said that correctly. Okay. I, uh, I never forget. Now, some people tend to have more of a stronger spirit when it comes to this. Maybe not. That's not true. Yeah, well, I remember years ago. See, one of the things, I'm, we're going to end this by showing you how many want to get rid of that. How many know that if it's so terrible, don't y'all think God would have given a simple remedy to get rid of it? If it's so terrible, okay? So what's cool about God? He'll tell you what the problem is and tell you how to destroy the problem. But years ago, you have to be at peace. Quit letting, yes, stuff will enter in your head. I ignored it. You know, years ago, my wife were dating. I was spending time with God, though, spending time with God. And she was in a rollover accident. She was on the freeway. And was it a bus that hit you? Or whatever, something hit her. Uh Uh-uh, that's worse. She got hit on the freeway by an armored vehicle. Flipped her car over. Um, and, uh, and everything. And they had to rush her to the hospital. And, um, and I guess she gave my money. We were dating at the time. And I still remember this. Um, because the God on the inside of you will activate in the midst of trouble. If you haven't been spending no time with him, then all the other stuff you've been putting on the inside of you, on BET and all the other stuff, the crazy stuff that happened, you know, hollering and screaming in the hospital, I demand to see my brother. Man, we need you to calm down. We're trying to uh, do heart surgery. Let me help. No, sit your behind down. You'd be surprised what I've seen. So, um, um, I remember, I remember the phone call, the hospital called me, sir, you know, this young lady has been in the hospital and I said, thank you. I'll be there. I just took my, I didn't take my time, you know, finish watching a television program. You know what I'm saying? You know, but I just was at peace. I didn't speed. I didn't, because I did not believe that she was going to die from a car accident. You know, pastor Reggie, you know, uh, when my oldest daughter was going through that season or something. Um, let me let me say something, y'all. What was mysterious about that is my daughter, uh, I know I'm putting her on the spot for a second, when she was going through those fainting spells, it happened right after she got laid hands on for salvation. Not salvation, but I, I was getting to the point like, shh, thank you. <laughs> let me finish. Okay. She got hands right uh, hands laid upon her for salvation when it comes to doing evangelism and stuff like that. She answered a call. And then mysteriously, that happened. When, she, when hands were laid upon her, she went down. And then mysteriously, that happened. And, of course, we know this stopped. But one time, we were in the hallway, and, and Pastor Reggie and I were at the top of the stairs. And this scared him. It literally scared him. Because he said, man, we were walking slowly from the top. We had just come around the corner, and somebody ran up the hallway. Oh, one of your kids fainted, and they fell out on the floor. And I looked at him and said, okay, thank you. And it scared him because he was expecting me to lose it. He was expecting me to start running down the hallway and panicking. He said, man, you told them thank you and finished our conversation, and you walked at the same cadence of speed. He said, you came in. He said, I had never seen a preacher dominate. He said, I had never seen somebody just come in and act like this is not something that everybody needs to be all up in arms about. And, And so I just told them they wanted to do certain things. I said, no, just lay the person down right there. Boom. Because it was spiritual in nature. And so, and so during that period of time, I was very serious. Might even been looking mean because I was trying to, I knew it was something. And I was trying to determine what is this? Where is this force coming from? And people were misinterpreting it and et cetera. You better seek the Lord, y'all, when it comes to stuff. The Bible says King, uh, King Hezekiah, he died for one reason. It says when he got sick, he didn't seek the Lord. It says he sought the doctors. 
And the next one said, next verse says he was buried with his fathers. Okay. And so you have to learn not to panic. I'm watching constant scenarios over scenario. We get a bad report. People panic. Somebody get in a car accident, panic. Doctors give you a bad report. People panic. And, and your panicking is you believing that what they said is going to come to pass. Okay. Y'all following me? Maybe, maybe y'all, maybe y'all learn. So, uh, well, let me get to this point. What verse am I in? Huh? Did I read Psalm 112? It was something else I was supposed to add and I can't remember. You said I did read that? Isaiah 12 too. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me the victory. Okay, so with every single solitary situation, y'all, sooner or later, something is going to come that is going to bend your mind back. And you you have a decision to make. Always remember this. I'm going to just drop this in here. This helped me be calm for the rest of my life. Is that scripture that says, God will not allow anything to happen to you that is too great for you to bear. So there is nothing, if it was your fault, if it was somebody else's fault, or if it was the devil's fault, there's nothing that God will bring into your life or allow happen that you cannot overcome. So when I got that revelation stuck on the inside of me, uh, most of the fear when it came to finances and sickness and disease and the devil, all the type of stuff and problems and scenarios, you know, the fear of your child being kidnapped, the fear of them being in an act, you know what I'm saying? The fear of a plane dropping that left me because I knew that if I'm on an airplane and the engine blows, it was only allowed because I can get out that situation. That set me free. That set me free. So it's very, very difficult. If a situation happens and you panicking, you might want to leave the room. See, this is the reason why I was at another church and there was a real a tornado or whatever twister on the scene and the fire alarm not the fire alarm the alarms were going off and everything and they made an announcement to the church everybody hit the basement and everybody took off running somebody said turnbo you need to come on downstairs i was eating chicken <laughs> by the window i told him i'll be down there in a minute everybody in the building was downstairs except for one person you know why because i had peace i just listened I was like, okay, I hear the sirens. See, it's a different dimension when you no longer live by what you see. You live by what you know and feel on the inside. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule on the inside of you. Don't let circumstances rule peace. Don't let what they told you rule peace. Don't let the statistics rule. Let peace rule. And most people let everything else rule except peace. And so that's why I can get on some people's nerves sometimes because when everybody else is running right, I'm like, no, I'm going left. Because <laughs> I'm basing it on peace. You know, Isaiah 51, 12 through 13. I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans? You wither like the grass and disappear. Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to fear the anger of your enemies? Where is their fear and their anger now? It is gone. All right, now let's, how many know, how many want to hear what we need to do in order to solve this problem? You know, because, I'm, you know, it's, for me, for me, I am greatly frustrated with what I see. 
I'm very greatly frustrated. And and so I'm I'm just I just I for me I just can't do it anymore. I'm just I'm so tired of I'm tired of these songs where we sing these songs and 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 you're 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 always gonna have people that don't believe. We're not talking about that. But I'm just tired of I'm tired of seeing people preach, but when it comes to act on it, they don't act on it. It's easy to preach a sermon, folk. It's easy to sing a Christian song. It's easy to confess. It's easy to talk a big game until you get hit. That's when it counts is when you get hit, not when the sun is shining. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, and so when it's, how many know, it's easy to talk about what you're going to do if somebody slap you until you get slapped. Man, somebody slap me, man, they'll be dead in a week. Well, then you roll up on a guy that lift weights for a living and he's seven feet tall. He slap you and you're like, oh, my bad. You can slap me again. I'm just, I'm sorry for even, even thinking that, I mean, you know, you can talk all the game you want to, you know, and, but you also got to be careful. You just got to be careful the type of things you say. I don't know why the Lord brought it to my attention today. Most of you know the story about when I had to kill this pit bull. And the sad part about the story is when we first moved down here, we lived in a new subdivision. But in order to go out the back entrance, you had to go through a very old neighborhood called Babyland. Yes, we learned that from the police officers. It was called Babyland. I don't know why. That's what it was called. And it was, it was, I, I should have called it gangster land. <laughs> you know, it was not, it wasn't as bad as it looked, but it just looked. But so one day I decided to walk from my house to the post office. It was only maybe a half a mile away, but I had to walk through that old neighborhood. And so I just put my gun on my side, walked to the post office. On the way back, I walked through the old neighborhood, got to the last house before I entered my subdivision. And there, a gentleman was out there with this great big old white pit bull. And I hope I didn't forecast this. I just laughed at him. And when I, when I said this, he like, huh, you know, I don't know why I said this. I said, mm. I said, that's why I have this on my side for him. It's exactly what I did. And a few months later, I shot that man's dog to death. That's an absolute true story. So you got to be very, very careful, even with joking sometimes, because belief in, in, in the stuff that comes out of your mouth is a very, very, very strong thing. And, um, and unfortunately, I did. I mean, I had to kill his pit bull. And it was a very volatile situation. It's the only time I've been that angry. I, I snapped into being psychotic for three days. That is no joke. That scared me. I don't ever want to be that angry again. I mean, you're talking about focus and you're talking about adrenaline that I have never felt in my entire life. It was a surge of mental clarity and energy, superhuman power, focus. I emptied an entire gun into that dog center mass. All of the bullets were all right there. And I was still pulling the trigger. I was so angry. Excuse me. So be careful what you say. Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a command to be strong and to be courageous. So let's talk about the one thing that gets rid of fear, and that is called boldness. Proverbs 28.1, show you how to cause boldness to come into your life. 
there are some things that you have to sow. There's some things you have to obey. There are some things that you can pray for. But let's look at this. Proverbs 28, 1. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. But the godly are as bold as lions. Proverbs 30, 29 through 31. Okay. I'm glad the Lord called this lion heart church. The lion was created to be a fearless animal. Proverbs 30, 29 through 31 in the SB version. There are three things which are stately in their march. That word stately means it is a wonder to watch and look at. It is boldness personified. That's what it means. Even four which are stately when they walk. The lion which is mighty among beasts and does not retreat before anything. The strutting rooster, the male goat, and a king when his army is with him. Those are four levels of boldness. I want to get into all of the details. When you study those four scenarios, number one, the lion is the one animal. It's the reason why he's called the what? King of the jungle. He's not afraid of them. Those lions will attack an elephant, won't they? <laughs> Water buffalo, hippo, they'll attack him. They'll attack you. When these, these, I saw a video the other day. They go on a safari and the lady gets out the car with her newborn child and walks over there by the lions. And they chasing her back to the car. It was a miracle that that woman did not get eaten up with her child. How many know that's just, that's Dumbbell Jr. Okay, so a lion, and it talks about the strutting rooster. Have you ever seen a rooster attack people on the property? They don't care nothing about you being an adult and 10 feet tall. Them things will chase you around. You cut their neck off and they're still chasing you. Some of y'all from the, from the old country, y'all know what I'm talking about. Roosters, I mean, they're already strutting around looking, looking for a candidate of baptism that's going to peck to death. And y'all know about male goats. Okay, how many lambs don't just run up there and butt you like that? Male goats, they don't care nothing about you either. All you got to do is look up all of these videos about people who have goats and just red. One guy, he, he picked his motorcycle up and the goat would hit him again. He fall down. By the time he got it up, the goat had retreated and hit him again. This happened about 13 times. Finally, him and his girlfriend got on a little motorcycle and the goat was still chasing him down the street. Fearlessness, boldness. And the last one, which is always a beautiful sight, is a king with his army. Who says, we might die, but we will die nonetheless. Boldness. In other words, I am so above fear that if it kills me, it will kill me while I'm not afraid. Okay. So, Proverbs 30. I'm sorry. Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scripture. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That's the first level of boldness. Accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Spend as much time with him as you can. If you spend a lot of time with Steve Jobs, even though he has passed on, you're going to be a whole lot more bold when it comes to technology. If you spent a lot of time with Donald Trump, you're going to have a whole lot more boldness when it comes to real estate. Whoever you spend time with, if they're bold in a particular area, you're going to start getting bold in that area. As one individual that's more bold than anybody and that's Jesus so one of the reasons why people are not bold is they don't spend enough, enough time in the word of God reading it studying it and eating it which is the DNA for boldness my wife will tell you how I was before when we first met it was not the one standing up here right now the one standing up here if it was the one back then y'all would y'all wouldn't even came to the church what you say? She said, not a word. That's the lie. You know you said something, girl. You know you said something. 
I mean, I'm just, I mean, I had zero boldness, just zero. I stepped out on a couple of things. I couldn't talk in front of two people without constantly shaking and stuttering. I mean, it's just, but the Lord increased that, okay? And that came partly through, through the word. I mean, it was, when my wife went to Bible school before I did. But I had been spending enough time with God, two things, spending time in the word, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues. I was doing that like three, four hours a day. And so I was becoming more bold on the inside. It didn't matter what I didn't know. I was unafraid of anything. And so much so, I mean, these guys start hitting me, man. How are you going to lead your wife? She's going to Bible school. And I was like, dude, her going to Bible school doesn't mean I can't lead her. I mean, I was just, I was, uh, whoo. I was becoming a pistol back then. Okay, so time in the Word and time in godly books. Is this going out on me? Testing one, two. No, it's not. All right, let's try it again. It's a little dead area over here. Okay, so time in the Word. Godly books, that brings boldness. The more time you spend in the Word, the more boldness. And let, let me say this. When I say time in the Word, reading it and eating it for what it says. When it says no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, y'all, that's God giving you a check with a signature. You can take this to the bank. So when you get on an airplane and, and all of a sudden something is going out, guess what? You're like, oh, it can't, this plane can't go down if I'm on it. He said, oh, you shouldn't talk like that. No, that's exactly how you should talk. Oh, I can't get in the car sitting when I'm in the car. You can't die. I mean, I, there have been people over the years that connected themselves to us that were living in sin because they believed that if they just stayed close to us, they wouldn't die. Ecclesiastes 8.1. Who is as the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his faith to shine and the boldness of his face shall be changed so the second thing that brings boldness is the accumulation of wisdom how many of you know before you go into real estate you think you're going to lose all your money when you get wisdom you are afraid to do something that other people i can't even touch it you know what i'm saying okay when you learn how to swim that's when you lose your fear of <clears throat> Try to, whoo, there it is. Thus saith the Lord for real. Let me backtrack. Okay. So any area that you get an education of, when you learn to swim, you lose your fear of water. Now you are bold to jump in there and do cartwheels off of the board and everything. See how the boldness comes by education? So as your wisdom increases, the boldness of your face will change because now what makes everybody else afraid, you keep walking because you know the truth about it. And that also comes through the word and through experience. Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So another way to get rid of fear and to increase your boldness is by asking God to give it to you. Now, when it comes to patience, he's not going to say, ding, you have another measure of demerits of, pa of patience today. It just increased by two millimeters. No, not with patience. When you ask for patience, they put you in a scenario. The bank line is too long. The old lady in the left lane of traffic, speed limit is 70. She's doing 35 with her blinkers on, like she on a picnic. Go to Walmart, you get in the longest line, Okay. When it start when patience, people start getting on your nerves. Okay, you you get a new partner at the job, they put you on a project with somebody you can't stand, 
And you're like, Lord, why? Or I was answering your prayer. You said you needed patience. Well, that's how patience works. But with boldness is a little bit different. With boldness, it is increased by spending time in the word. It is increased by living righteously. It is increased, okay, by the accumulation of wisdom. It is increased also by prayer. Not praying in English so much, praying in tongues. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. It literally means to build yourself up like a battery and make yourself powerful. And so that's the reason why the longer you spend time praying in tongues, the more you build yourself up on the inside. Your inside is bigger than your outside. I know that's hard to comprehend, but it's true. That's why Jesus said the entire kingdom of God is on the inside of you. I mean, you know, I don't understand that. Okay. If the entire kingdom of God is on the inside of you, that's how long it would take for you to fill up your out insides. It's the same amount of time it would take to fill up the entire kingdom of God. Your spirit, man, is an entire dimension all by itself. So, I mean, think about it. Y'all remember in scripture when it said that Jesus said, what is your name? And they said, our name is Legion because we are many. That means it was a minimum of 6,000 demons in one man. I couldn't get 6,000 people in this room. How can you get 6,000 in one man? You know what the scripture says? It talks about how it says when the spirit is cast out, it says it goes about through dry places, comes back, finds the place empty, and says it goes and gets a ragtag team called a seven-pack. And it says he gets seven other demons more wicked. That also lets you know that there's degrees of righteousness and degrees of wickedness. He gets seven demons more wicked than himself, and they all go back on the individual. How do seven to eight people fit on the inside of one person? Because the real you is a dimension. It's a world. And apparently it's the size of the kingdom of God. That's a whole... It's backwards thinking for us. You know what I'm saying? All we think about is how many people they can fit into a, you remember that thing, fitting, how many people fit in a phone booth? If I go way back, how many people can you fit into a Volkswagen? Y'all remember that one? Some of y'all are like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, let's go ahead and finish the end. First John 4, 17. This is how our love is made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That word judgment means that you may have boldness when temptation, test, or trial shows up. You look at it and laugh and go back to bed. Like Smith Wigglesworth did. Said he woke up in the middle of the night and he said Satan was standing at his bed. He said, oh, it's just you and went back to sleep. Man, you'd be screaming. You'd be had the house up for sale. You'd be like, burn it! Satan is on the inside! <laughs> Not Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody know Smith Wigglesworth? That dude was pure boldness. That dude walked into a funeral and walked. The man walked into a funeral and grabbed a person in the casket by the throat, threw him up against the wall and said, walk in the name of Jesus. And the person started walking. These are all true stories. Somebody now we don't practice this. So you're welcome to come to the healing line as much as you want. But this is a true story that a lady had a newborn baby with a, some terminal sickness and disease. She brought the baby, because you know, with children, they get healed by the faith of the parents. She brought the baby to the altar. Smith Wigglesworth prayed over her. Well, she didn't believe the prayer, so she brought the baby a second time. Brace yourself. Don't leave my church over this. She set him down. Smith Wigglesworth kicked the baby. How many know this? I've heard that story. Kicked the baby. And when the baby was caught, the baby was completely healed. You, uh, let me tell you how experience makes you crazy. Y'all looking like, this is insane. But let me tell you, let me, t- let me tell you what's so crazy. Uh, this is a side note. When it comes to getting people filled with the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues, 
99 times out of 100, I don't touch them. Even though in the scripture, it says that people laid hands on you and you received the gift of praying in tongues. I don't do it that way. You know why I have faith to do it that way? Because when I received it, I was too scared to come to the altar and the man did it from the pulpit and I received it with nobody touching me in the audience. So that's where my faith is at strong. When Smith Wigglesworth got healed of tuberculosis, the preacher that came into his room jumped on the bed and punched him in the stomach. And he got instantly healed. So for Smith Wigglesworth, that's crazy, ain't it? But when the Bible says all things are possible to them that believe, that's what it means. And so that's why you have to be careful about judging somebody else's method versus yours. I don't care about methods. All I care about is fruit. Now, how many know if you kick a baby off the stage, oh, not only should they be here, they better come down with some $100 bills in their hand or something, you know. But I'm just saying that that's the reason why his faith was so extreme and easy to flow in the extreme. Because when he received his healing, it was extreme. The man jumped on the bed and punched him in the stomach with all his might. And so Smith Wilson was like, well, apparently God does that sometime and God will have him do it. But you know what? How I many know Jesus did crazy stuff like that? The man says, I'm blind, Jesus. He said, okay, hold on a minute. The man coughs up a bunch of spit. Some of y'all, some of y'all that haven't read this in the Bible, oh, you get to it, start reading Matthew. He spits in the ground, makes a mug cake, slaps it on the man's eyes and says, okay, now have somebody lead you to the river because you can't see. And then when you get there, jump in. How many of you know? You better know God if you do some foolishness like this. How many of you know? You stopped with the spit. I can see some of y'all sisters right now. If you had been blind, wait a minute. Why are you spitting, Jesus? I'm about to put this on your eyes. Uh-uh. I'm going to be blind. I'm going to be blind. I'm going to be blind. He ain't spitting on my eyes. <laughs> you know, good and well, it's true. People crazy like that. Okay. Okay, so this is how our love is made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. When you get a revelation that the one who is sitting on the throne, there is no difference between you and him, your fear will leave. And that's called perfected love. Fear means that your love is not perfect concerning how far your heavenly father will go for you. It means when you are afraid, it means you have no revelation about God's love for you. And because, look, watch this. I'm in a situation and I don't believe God loves me enough to get me out. And you particularly feel that way because when God brings you out, he has a pattern. He doesn't bring you out in the beginning. He brings you out in the end. Because when God blesses you, he's not just interested in your blessing. God is interested in your physical blessing, but he is more interested in your spiritual character. So when you ask God for a thing, he is definitely going to bring that thing, but he might make you wait just a little bit because it is one scripture that says, let patience have its perfect work so that you will be perfect and then get to a place where you don't lack anything. You are not allowed to come to a place where you don't lack anything without having strong patience. So that's the only reason why when you ask God for a thing, that's the only reason why it takes a few weeks or a few days or a few months. During that period of time, that's why it says through faith and patience, Abraham inherited everything that was for him. Because God is not just interested in your physical blessings. He wants you to have that. He's more interested in your spiritual growth and your character. Will you serve me even though it hasn't come yet? Will you keep on doing the right thing even though it hasn't showed up yet? Okay. 
First John 5, 14, we're almost done. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to a will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Notice it didn't say that if you ask God for a thing, if he hears you, he'll bring the answer. It didn't say that. It says when you ask God for a thing, if you know that he heard you. It's very important to know this, that when it comes to this stuff, okay, you got to know yourself. I think Maya Angelou said that, you know, know thyself. That's very, very important. God knows what you're going to do in any given situation. You don't know what you're going to do. So God will begin to test you in smaller situations before you get to the big one so that you can locate yourself. He already knew you were going to panic, but you swore up and down you weren't going to panic. I shared this with me, shared this with a couple of leaders. There is a reason. This is very important for all of you. God will at times ask you to help someone that he knows is going to reject you. He will, he will, God will speak to me to bless someone knowing that they're going to act a fool. He will ask me to put somebody in leadership knowing that they're going to sit up there and stab me in the back. You know why? Because for a lot of people, when they stand before God, they're going to say, Lord, if you would have just given me the opportunity, I would have done the right thing. But God knows you weren't going to do the right thing. But he knows that unless he gives you an opportunity to mess up, then you wouldn't believe you're going to. You understand what I'm saying? So in order to prove that you were going to do the wrong thing, he has to allow you to do that thing. If he doesn't, you'll swear up and down you weren't going to do wrong. That's the only reason why Judas was allowed to be attached to Jesus. Jesus knew from the beginning the man was going to betray him. But if Jesus, Judas had never been given an opportunity, he would have said, oh, no, I would have never betrayed you. Remember, that's what Peter said. Oh, Lord, I'll die for you. Jesus said, uh-uh. He said, oh, crazy rooster, that thing ain't even going to crow three times. You're already going to be stabbing me in the back. Peter thought he was ready, but he wasn't. The wonderful thing about tests that you fail, God just gives you another one because he wanted you to learn the lesson. When Peter failed to test, Jesus found him. Didn't wait for Peter to come back. Jesus found him. He didn't bring up nothing about his mistake. He said, do you love me? He said, yes. He said, then would you please get back to what you were doing before you failed? Y'all got that? Jews, uh, Jesus, John 6, 5 through 6, two more minutes. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. See, so, so God already knows how he's going to bring you out. He already knows how he's going to make me a millionaire. He already knows how he's going to find you that husband or that wife. He already knows when your children are coming. He already knows how he's going to blow your business up and make you famous. He already knows how he's going to get you that job. He already knows how he's going to get you out of debt. He already knows what he's going to do, but he has to put you through a few tests so you can learn some things about yourself. Because whatever God has for you, you know, it's one thing to get it. It's another thing entirely to keep it. Last one, and that is you must, with this knowing yourself, you got to count the cost. Luke 14, 25 through 32, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That word hate is not the greatest word that they use from the translation. It literally means to love less. 
In other words, if you're going to be my disciple, you must love everybody connected to you less than you love me. You must be willing to reject. We're not, well, I don't want to say that because I might give too many different interpretations of that. People will try and get a divorce tomorrow. Okay. <clears throat> Y'all know what I'm saying. Okay. That same Smith Wigglesworth, before he was saved, his wife was saved. She didn't, he didn't want her to go to church. She went anyway. So she went to church. And he, uh, so he locked her out the house. And so when she came back that night, she had to spend the night on the, on the porch. Some of y'all know about the story. She had to spend the night on the porch. And uh, ladies, how many of you know if your husband locked you outside on the porch for the entire night with the mosquitoes and the bugs and, and criminals, how many you know uh, you're not about to sleep? You're just going to break the windows and set it off and burn the house down while you're in it. How many you know? It's not what Smith Wigglesworth's wife did. She slept on the porch. He got up the next morning wondering where his wife was, opened the door. She woke up and says, what would you like for breakfast? I mean, you know, that's the top level right there. I mean, you know, I don't know if I could do it, Jesus. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sister German, like, oh, that's top level. That's top level. I mean, that's another level right there. See? But because of that, the man gave his life to Christ. But because of the way his wife walked in love, that hard man gave his life to Christ and um, and then became a superman, an illiterate plumber. They said, it's a lot of myths about Smith Wigglesworth. They said he never prayed for longer than 30 minutes, but he never went longer than 30 minutes without praying. He was a beast. They said he would not touch a magazine, wouldn't glance at the newspaper. He always read the Bible all day long. And they wonder why the man raised people from the dead the same way that you brush your teeth. Surprised to be paid for that type of stuff. Okay. But anyway, verse 27. So if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. In other words, he'll give up before he gets started. This is an honesty scripture. It's an honesty scripture. You must be honest with yourself. You, y'all, for the most part, you should not jump into things Hoping that God is your default net. You know what I'm saying? That's not how things go. How it's supposed to go is, is that you plan and then God gives you favor. Now, that's different than God giving you a word. When God gives you a word, he'll tell you, jump out there and you just got to go. You must have a word. But there's a difference between you getting a word from God. Leave Atlanta and go to Detroit now. Leave your job before you go to the crib. There's a difference between God giving you a word. Abraham, start walking. What am I going to do? I'm not going to tell you until you start walking. There's a difference between that versus you planning something and you decide to jump out there and then use the Holy Ghost as your safety net. That's how you get in trouble. So you must plan. See, faith is not jumping out there and if you fail, God is your safety net. Faith is you planning and then expecting God to give you favor so that your plan works supernaturally fast. Y'all got that? 
because a lot of Christians get in trouble. They get really, really hyped up. I'm going to just jump up. I'm going to just do this. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to start this business. And then they mad at God. And God is like, I ain't tell you to start no business. That was you. Okay? I don't need no special, special Vaseline for ash. You came up with that product. You know, you know what I'm saying? I know I come up with some. I'm, look, see, some of my examples are really crazy because people hit me with some crazy stuff sometimes. And I got to try to be nice. And I'm just like, nobody's going to buy that. You know, just it, there's some people in their mind. It's like they come out with something. And for example, they come out with something and they think they're going to be a millionaire by selling it to their church family and their family members. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. You might get a couple of nuggets to go to McDonald's for a few weeks and that's about it. If you want something to make it, let me tell you something. I'm going to put this up. I heard you Udipo say this and this is where I close. He said, he said, there is nothing ordinary about your business. It is your ordinary approach to it that makes it ordinary. There is nothing stale about your ministry. It is your stale approach to it that makes it stale. If you want to do something extraordinary or extraordinary, then guess what? You got to be above the level of everybody else. You got to do the stuff that other folk are unwilling to do. You got to, you, y'all, you're going to have to pay a price. You're going to have to discipline yourself. Y'all, it's, y'all, look, if, I, I keep saying this. You got to be willing to receive criticism and people judge your stuff and say, that was the wackiest whack video I've ever seen in my life. Look, if you want to come to a real conclusion real fast, get a group of teenagers in the room and show them your video. They'll tell you, oh, like that, oh, Lord. My kids, psh, you ain't got to play the whole video. First 10 minutes, you can turn this, 10 seconds, you can turn this mess off. This is boring. Okay? And, but we don't want to be honest. I did a test. I know this, this is my second close, I promise you. Okay? I'm no seriously, because I'm getting better. You got to admit, I'm just my second one. I did an experiment years ago. We're not talking about righteousness of sin. We're talking about creativity and impact. I did an experiment years ago. All of my kids were younger. I was flipping through the channels. They were in the back room playing. And I, I don't know if it was a, it could have been a video channel or something. It was either some rock and roll music or some rap music that they were playing. Now, mind you, I was watching the Christian channel with some music. So when I switched it to the worldly music, the kids came running in. Now, you blame this on Satan. This ain't Satan. This is creativity. When I, when, I, when, I, when I played the music, the kids dropped what they were doing, and I looked at them. They all came in the room and just stood there. And I'm looking at this like, Jesus, I think this is time for an experiment. So what I did was I switched it back to the Christian music. They all just left off, took off, went back, picked up their toys, boom, boom. I was like, maybe that was a coincidence. So I switched it back to the hip-hop channel, whatever I was looking at. They dropped them toys, came right back in there, stood right there and just stood at the television. And I'm just like, this is crazy. So I switched it back to that Christian music. You can keep that poverty, Dad. You can watch that. We're going back here, boom, boom. (laughs) That's when I began to see what was wrong with most Christian music. It's not creative. Bono, the leader of YouTube, I mean, YouTube, he said something in an interview. That is very powerful. He said, as Christians, he's a Christian. As Christians, now he might not be a mature one. I don't know. I'm trying to judge that. He said, as Christians, we're not being honest with ourselves. He said, because when you read the book of Psalms, it wasn't all positive. He said, Psalm talked, he said, David talked about, he said, the whole chapter would be able to talk about David losing his life. And at the end, it would say, Lord, but I still trust in you. Where do you think that term came from? 
though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When you read the Psalms, it's not just all positive. It's talking about drama and the pain of life. And Lord, I'm in this cave. And where are you? He said, so you're not being honest with your songs. He said, that's why your audience is so small. On top of that, the instrumental side is usually whack. Okay. So we're going to stop it right there. See, that was only two closes that time. I'm going to get to one next time. Okay, but that's the thing I want you to understand is that you are going to have to face your fears. If you don't, that thing will destroy you and you will have no forward movement. Unfortunately, in order for you to face your fears, many a times you're going to have to stare, fate, uh, stare death right in the face. You're going, let me tell you what helped me is I would say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then guess what? I would settle that in my heart that if that happened, I'm okay. And then I pulled out both swords and ran at the problem. That's what you got to do. You know, I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, Lord is, you know, Lord is moving different people and having them do certain things. You got to look at that. You know, I tell, there are times when people are getting ready to lose their place. I said, worst thing that can happen is you got to move into an extended stay. Thank God for extended stays. No credit, no past history. You could have been a serial killer that just got out of jail yesterday. Welcome, brother. If you got this $49, we got a room for you, too. Extended stays out of truth. Stayed in one for two weeks when I came down here. Okay. And so, but that's the worst case scenario. I might have to, you got to settle that and then run. And it is your running at the thing that empowers you to destroy that thing. You don't actually believe a rock brought Goliath down, do you? Absolutely not. It was David's belief that empowered the rock to become a rocket. And that is when you run at it, you become empowered. Whatever you run at 100 miles an hour, you become empowered to destroy it because you wouldn't run at it if you were afraid. If you were afraid, you'd run from it. So whatever you run at, your faith is saying, I'm running at it because I'm no longer afraid. And when you run at it because you're no longer afraid, they then empower you to destroy what you're running at. Because your actions, nobody runs towards something that they are afraid of. You run from it. Let's go and stand. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, O Father God. So I'll probably do another slice. It's Wednesday. Thank you, O Lord God. Lift your hands, Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you. We honor you. Give you glory and honor and thanks. Help us, O Lord God, to overcome this. There is something in Scripture called the spirit of fear. And so I break the spirit of fear over every person, over every mind, over every heart concerning their circumstances, things that have been spoken over them, fear of what is going to happen in the future based on what has already happened in the past. Break, O Lord God, that stronghold over the minds and hearts of those that are afraid, O Lord God. We ask for boldness on tonight because boldness is something that you said that we can ask for. So we ask, O Lord God, that on tonight you would give us a measure of boldness to face the things that we are afraid of. To face those individuals that we know we should talk to but are afraid to talk to. Thank you, O Lord God. To handle that business, O Lord God, that has not been handled. Thank you, O Father God, for giving us the boldness to do this. For you have created us to be lions. We have the DNA of the lion of the tribe of Judah running through our veins. 
We thank you, O Lord God, that that DNA of that lion has enough boldness in it where it can overcome anything and it will not turn away from anything in fear. So I thank you, O Lord God, that you are increasing that in your people. You are developing that in your people. For you have great things for your people, great mountains to overcome, great things to create. Thank you, O Lord God, much land mass to be taken over. You have many things, O Lord God, for your people to do. For you have created us to be signs and wonders in these last people. We are sons and daughters of the kingdom of God, of the most high God. And in these last days, O Lord, you desire to show your sons and daughters off to the world. To show the world what it looks like to be children of God. But in order to do that, we will need great boldness. Because what you have called us to do is in the category of impossible exploits. So I thank you, Lord God, that as you increase us more and more, you will test us so that we can see ourselves. We thank you that you are a good God because even when we fail the test, you will give us another chance until we get it right. You are the one that owns the baseball. You are the one that owns the bat. You are the one that owns the game. Therefore, you can increase the inning until we win. So I thank you, O Lord God, for doing these things. A righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. So we thank you that you will take us from glory to glory. We bless and honor you for it. In Jesus' name, go ahead and lift up your voice. Thank God. And ask him for boldness. Thank him. Declare that you are no longer afraid. That the spirit of fear is broken over your life. That you have the grace and the boldness to accomplish anything. You have no reason to be afraid of anything because the Lord is on your side. The Lord is on your side. And if the Lord is on your side, what man can be against you? What bill? What situation? What circumstance? What sickness and disease? What devil? What demonic situation? What person? We thank you, O Lord God made us, O oh Lord God, Superman in the spirit. We bless and honor you, O oh Lord God, for these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Jesus' mighty name.